Welcome to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast. All right, RJ, for the cold open this week, got to talk about the, you know, the debate that is lighting the hockey world on fire, and that is about the cover of the latest NHL video game. It's not about whether or not we should all boycott and just nobody buys the NHL video game to send a message to EA that they're, you know, doing a terrible job or anything, but it's because... That's a given. I know, but it's because we got like the best two cover athletes we could have ever hoped for. And yet for some reason, hockey fans just can't acknowledge that. And it's driving me nuts, RJ. I don't know about you, but I love the fact that Sarah Nurse and Trevor Zegras are on the cover of this thing. I do too. It's so fun to have, you know, athletes who are really the marketable face of the game, right? We've talked about Trevor Zegras forever right since he came to the league and was so exciting about how the nhl needs to be pushing this and marketing this and it seemed like just about everyone agreed with us right mm-hmm. in the hockey sphere you know especially at the all-star game doing those cool yeah. moves zegra should have won how could you give this to the golden knights because just their hope this is the problem with with hockey and then you put them on the cover which is one of the most marketable places for any mm-hmm. nhl player and people have a problem with it yeah. I, I i don't know i don't get it I look, I understand the argument of saying like, well, it should be someone from, you know, Stanley Cup winning team or whatever. Like, I get that. Uh, I just think that, yes, when it comes to marketability, the NHL has had such a problem for so long. And the fact that their recent like two, you know, generational ish players in Connor McDavid, who lacks all personality, like just truly. And then you have Austin Matthews, who just shave the damn mustache man like come come on help us out here just a little bit okay um yeah like i I don't know he he's not doing a great job of it either like they need they needed an injection of energy and excitement and guys like trevor zegris jack hughes you know what i mean like these are the guys that can give you that and you know help grow the game especially now that you're partnered with an espn like Zegris was all over Sports Center top plays last year because of things. You you know what I mean? Like that's the stuff that you need if you want to grow the sport, if you want to have more fans involved in the sport, if you want to stop feeling like you're the, you know, ugly stepchild in the sports world, which I know upsets so many hockey fans, uh then you got to embrace some of this stuff. And uh, I just don't think it's a bad thing and I especially don't think it's a bad thing cuz we're talking about a video game. Who is not the more video, most video gamey player if it's not Trevor <laughs> Zegris, right? Like, that's all he's doing. Exactly. Oh. Yeah, no, in a video game, you're just trying to pull off some of the stuff that, that he does. I mean, that's, you know, that's what you're trying to do. And I think, you know, we should also talk about Sarah Nurse. Yes. And, and how great that is, too. I love how the two of them kind of, you know, play off of each other and interact mm-hmm. with each other. The personalities there are awesome. And also, the more that you can bring women's hockey and especially the international women's hockey. I love she's in the Canada gear, you know, to the mainstream, the better. Cause if you can just get more eyeballs on like those USA Canada series that sells itself, it is such yeah. good hockey. Um, so I, I love that they did that with both of them and that they're incorporating, I think what women's players into to yeah. ultimate team is that, is that kind of their, their selling point there? I don't, I don't know. I don't play the game anymore cause it's terrible, but <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know either. Um, but yes, I mean, in Sarah Nurse, you have a phenomenal hockey player in her own right. 
Um, someone who has, again, marketable personality. She knows how to work all that stuff. Um, she's She's been great as far as helping to promote the game and promote the women's game for years now. Like, this is nothing new. Um, and, and I do think that that's important. And and yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of one of those moments where it feels like this... I'm kind of surprised it didn't happen sooner in a way too, because I, the, the one thing that I will say about hockey when it comes to this stuff is I've always felt like NHL fans were so much better about acknowledging the women's side of the game, appreciating the women's side of the game, truly being fans of the women's side of the game than any of the other major sports leagues. Right? Like it, I really just in the last like three years, it feels like the WNBA is kind of finally breaking through to more you know, uh, average mainstream NBA stuff, right? Like, but, but that's taken a serious push from the league where I feel like in the hockey side, it's really been the fans all along that have just embraced the, the, the women's tournaments, all that kind of stuff. So, um, I'm, I'm actually kind of surprised that it took so long to have a cover like this, just because I feel like hockey more so than any of the other sports has been primed and ready for it for the longest period of time. But, um, Better, better late than never, I guess. <laughs> well done, EA, on that one little bit. Yes. Now just fix the gameplay, fix everything else. Right, you get one. And yes, if the big selling point is that you're going to have female players in Ultimate Team, the pro you know, just look at that sentence for a moment. The problem is Ultimate Team. <laughs> it is, yes. <laughs> it is RNG gambling for real money that's what that is <laughs> that's all it is and that's where they spend all their all four developers that ea has work on this game that's where they spend all their time it's on ultimate team so it's like a it's like a win for inclusion but it's also like an l because why does that mode exist <laughs> exactly. Ugh, at the expense of franchise mode oh it drives me nuts and then finally i just want to appreciate the fact that they did all that at ducks ice I, I've been saying it on like Discord, on Twitter, every time they release behind the scenes stuff about the cover shoot and all that stuff. But I'm telling you, that rink is fantastic. It's the old practice facility for the Ducks. I don't think they still use it because they, they built a whole new system of, of rinks and everything down there. The one thing I will always give the Ducks credit for is the amount of investment they made in local uh, hockey. Whether it was building a ton of rinks, there's just a ton of rinks littering OC way more than like in LA, which doesn't make sense, even though there's far more population there. Um, they've done a fantastic job of that. They've had a high school league that's been really successful throughout Orange County for years now that incorporates both ice and roller hockey. So I've always thought that that's cool. And they invest heavily in that to make sure that as many people can afford to participate as possible. Um, and then just that building, the, the natural wood, all that stuff you can see from the behind the scenes pictures. It's where the WHL holds their USA Combine every year. And it's just fantastic. So I, I love it. I have lots of fond memories uh, from those WHL combines from scouting there. So I was just a, happy to see it and happy that it gets to be on the cover of a, of a thing. I was more excited for that than Zegris or Serenurse, to be honest. <laughs> I know that place. I know. I've been there. I've seen people there. Um, so, so that's cool. But I, I am curious, you know, as always, let us know, you know, comments, Twitter, Discord, all that kind of stuff. It's been a debate that's been going around for a little while now. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, would you have rather it have been a, a Tampa Bay Lightning player or a Colorado Avalanche player just because they're winning? Is that, is or that, both. I know. I mean, that, that idea was floated on our Discord. I think that's a good idea. I love that one Madden cover. 
the year after the Steelers Cardinals Super Bowl when you had Fitz and Troy Polamalu on it. That was fantastic to me. Yep. Madden 10 or whatever. So, all right, there we go. Enough video game talk. Um, let's move into the Kraken news, RJ, with the quick, with the quick hits. We've got um, some actual news this week. Again, like so somehow these news nuggets keep keep trickling out for us uh, deep into August. So we'll we'll start with the player media availability that you had with both Andre Burakovsky and Justin Schultz. And then we'll talk about the recent uh, front office hires that were made. But why don't you take it away uh, with those media availabilities? Sounds good. And a quick shout out to Kraken PR for spacing all this stuff out so we have mm -hmm. something to talk about every week. Yeah. Really appreciate that. I'm sure they've got us in mind in our podcast yes. when doing that. But uh, thank you again to Kraken PR. Um, so we'll start with uh, a media availability that we had a couple days ago. And we got a couple new Kraken players, Andre Burakovsky and Justin Schultz. So we got Burakovsky first. I'll start with him. And um, just to start with, Burakovsky, he was fun. Uh, he was in Europe uh, at the time. It was nighttime for him. You could tell he was under some kind of tree, and it was dark, but he, he took some time out of his night to talk to us. Uh, my main takeaways from the Burakovsky presser, first of all, uh, you know, he was kind of asked about, you know, why was this a fit? Why did he choose to sign in Seattle? And the first thing that he mentioned was that Seattle showed interest right away. And you could really get a sense that that being wanted like that was important to him. He said, you know, when they reach out that quickly, you know that they want you. Uh, and, and he just felt like that was an important factor for him. So you could definitely tell Seattle had interest in him right away. He's someone that we kind of had drawn some lines there in free agency that it, it would make sense for the Kraken to be interested. And it sounds like they absolutely were. Um, yeah, the second takeaway is that he really likes what he's seen of Seattle and that he and his girlfriend are excited about living here. It's a decision, it sounds like the two of them kind of made together. And he said, yeah, my girlfriend in particular is, is really excited about living here. Uh, they, they've gone and checked out, uh, you know, different areas. I, I believe it was, um, was, it, was it Kirkland and, and Bellevue that they were looking at? Um, as far as getting a house. So they're, they're ready to get settled down right away. Um, they've already checked out some of the local restaurants. Uh, it seems like they're ready to embrace you know, being in Seattle and they're really excited about uh, everything off the ice too, about just living here, which is great to see. I love to see when the players, uh, you know, really embrace the area and are excited to live here. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's refreshing. Um, Cause it's, I feel like the Kraken players have talked about that a lot more than, you know, other teams, right. In the past, you know, we've, we've heard from free agents signing places a lot. We've heard players being traded in places a lot over the years. And you don't feel like there's that same kind of like, wow, like this city's pretty dope. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and, and I don't know if that's just because it was kind of off the hockey radar for a lot of people. If they weren't like a WHL player, you know, there was kind of no reason to ever end up in Seattle for them. Um, but it's, it's really nice and it is kind of refreshing because you're just not used to hearing stuff like that. And then, um, yeah, I'm just I'm just excited to add him to the team. I feel like his signing more so than really any other offseason move has somehow flown under the radar when it was their biggest signing. <laughs> like I don't know how that's kind of happened. Um, but again, like this is a guy who's gonna come in and is gonna put up a lot of points this year and he's gonna be a twenty goal scorer. And um, I'm really excited to see who he kind of develops chemistry with if he finds that top line chemistry with Matty Beniers and all of those kinds of things. 
Um, cause you know, I know one of the other things he talked about was kind of not being in the shadow of mm-hmm. all these players that he kind of has been throughout his career. And this is his opportunity to prove that, you know, he's his own man, so to speak. And, and he, as a player can hang in a top line role and produce numbers like he's, you know, a top line player. And I do think that he's going to be able to do that here in Seattle. Agreed. And that's something that you really got the sense of, you know, when he was talking about it was how big of a factor opportunity was. He mentioned, I've been in the shadow of Ovechkin, Backstrom, McKinnon, Landeskog. And he mentioned, I want to have a bigger role. I want to play more and I want to be a leader for the younger players and kind of show them the way. Uh, And I thought that was really telling, too, because a player like Burakovsky, he's 27, you know, Mm -hmm. the first year of UFA, kind of right in the middle of that age group, right? You're not exactly a younger guy anymore, but, you know, you're not in your 30s. You're not really the the total elder statesman there, Uh, but wanting to transition to be more of a leader. And and it's tough to do when you're especially when he was, you know, in his early 20s on those Capitals teams. You know, you can't really take a leadership role. You know, you got Ovechkin, Backstrom. Those are the guys. Right. Right. And on that Colorado team, you have a lot of leaders there, too. You know, Nathan McKinnon, for sure. uh, Gabriel Landeskog. Between those two, you know, it's it's tough to kind of be one of the main leaders of a team. You know, nothing wrong with those guys. They're, they're, They're great leaders. But. But, uh, you know, you kind of have to be in the shadow a little bit. And I think it's something that that Andre's really going to embrace coming to Seattle. And and the Kraken, I think, see that for him as well. There's a reason they had such interest in him very early is because he has everything that that you would want for a player who's primed to break out both on and off the ice it had become uh you know play a bigger role in really every sense uh and so that's something that he definitely feels that he has a chance to do and that he's excited to do right and this is a player who is you know he's he's worn a lot of different hats in the nhl too and i think that that's going to help him teach younger guys and and all these players that are in different positions right i mean he's going to come into a team where you know, Maddie Beniers needs to be shown stuff on on how to be an NHL player, all that kind of stuff at a top line level. But you also have guys that are kind of, you know, struggling to still find their way in like a Morgan Geeky, right? Who's playing a more depth role, something like that, or a Cole Lind or somebody, you know, one of those type of situations. But this is a guy who at 19 was able to crack a very good Washington Capitals roster, right? I don't think many people expected him to do that. Um, and he did it by being, you know, a depth role player type guy. And he just slowly progressed and worked his way up to the point where, hey, there's just not room for you here, right? Kind of thing. Moves over to Colorado, gets in a, a more expanded role there, proves that he can be more of a, a go-to scorer type thing. Still contributes in the playoffs there, just like he did in Washington. Um, so he has that experience too. But, you know, it's it's the kind of guy that, has really worked his way up through the system, done things the, you know, quote unquote, right way, all of those, those things. And, you know, he learned so many lessons along the way. And the one benefit of playing in stars shadows or in these leadership shadows of people like Ovechkin, Backstrom, Landeskog is that you got to learn from them and they are some of the best in the business. So now he gets to kind of take the wisdom he's picked up along his own journey, the wisdom he's been given from those guys and imparted all on the Seattle Kraken. And I'm just super, super happy about that. 
Agreed. And, and I think it's something that we're we're going to be looking very closely for as training camp gets started and everything. And, you know, the leadership situation almost kind of resets yeah. uh, and, and you start to see that. And then the last thing on Burakovsky that I, I want to mention, he's he's pretty funny and, and candid, too. And I like that about the press. Or there were a few moments that kind of just got laughs for, from us and uh, just just how candidly he speaks, which I, I really like is refreshing. Um, he was asked about the, that abs Kraken game in November that we talked about on our on our best moments, uh, you know, a, a couple weeks ago on the podcast. And that was the, the game, of course, where the abs went up seven to zero uh, and then the Kraken got three more. But, um, you know, I'm sure he doesn't remember, you know, every single <laughs> game. But, yeah, they asked, like, OK, do you remember that one in November? And he's like, is that the one where I scored two goals or the one we lost? <laughs> Uh, which I, I thought was a pretty funny response. Um, he also, uh, you know, he wasn't shy about talking about how the ice maybe wasn't the best for the second game, and the guys were talking about that. Um, but I like that that's the kind of thing that he would share too, where mm -hmm. he, he's not going to necessarily hold anything back. I think that's going to um, that's going to bode really well for for us, just you know, covering him and the team. You're going to hear what he thinks, and I think that's something that you know all fans can really appreciate. It, for sure it is. I mean, we we kicked off this podcast talking about marketability, personality, all this stuff, right? Here we get a player who has that. And mm -hmm. it also tells me if he's comfortable enough talking to the media like that and about those things, then he's for sure comfortable enough talking within that locker room, talking to the coaching staff, talking to, you know, Ron Francis, right? Like he's it means he's confident he knows what he's seeing whatever he believes in what he's seeing and and he believes in the messaging that he's going to take to somebody else i think that that's very important within an organization too as the kraken continue to develop their own culture and what their identity is going to be internally i think having guys like that who aren't afraid to speak their mind who aren't afraid to go like hey you know what ice i'm it's not really good right now like maybe let's look at that you know what i mean let's see if there's something we can do there i think that that's something that benefits an organization when you have people willing to step up and say hey there's this issue over here instead of just being like yeah but i don't want to bother them you know what i mean because i mm -hmm. feel like that's a lot of hockey too especially when you're talking about a front office where it's you know your general manager is ron francis right? Like this super elite did it all kind of guy in the NHL. I can see that being very intimidating for guys to go to him and maybe express a concern or something. But um, to have somebody like that in the locker room, I think that that benefits everybody, someone who's willing to talk about those kinds of things. And then yes, you talked about it. The media thing is certainly a big deal. I want to end Burakovsky kind of, let's, let's just once again, kind of go over what we think He's going to do this year, RJ. Should we, we could, I could try to set a quick right. over under, but I think, <laughs> I think, you know, we've, we've been pretty, you know, consistent talking about, he's going to have every opportunity in the world to be on the top line. Um, Got to think probably on the left side. I, I think that's kind of everybody's consensus opinion at the moment is he'll, he'll be the first line left winger. What kind of production do you think we're going to see from him? Because, like I said before, in Washington, he was kind of just relegated to more of a depth role just because those rosters were kind of stacked. He, he wasn't quite able to move up just because there wasn't the opportunity. Goes to Colorado. Playing time goes up pretty significantly minutes-wise. You're talking about, you know, two to three minutes a game. That is that is definitely significant. And he starts producing 20 goals a year in shortened seasons and you know, 61 points last year in 80 games. So what kind of production do you think we're going to see out of him in his first year in Seattle? 
This is tough because of all the players the Kraken brought in, Burakovsky, I think, might have the widest range of outcomes as far yeah. as production because you can make a case both ways that on the one hand, if he's averaging only 16 minutes a night in that last season in Colorado, which is not very much. I mean, those are third yeah. line. So he's going to get a bump up for that significantly. But also you look at the talent around him and, and let's be honest, there's not as much in Seattle as there is in Colorado. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think we could pretty safely say that. So there's, you know, it could go either way. I think the goals I would expect he had 22 last season. I would expect that to bump up to maybe 25, 26, or maybe higher if things go right for him, but I could see an increase in that. I think the assists, totals might go down a little bit just given the finishing talent around him probably won't be the same as it was in Colorado I think overall points wise it it could probably just about even out Mm -hmm. Um, so I I basically see it evening out production wise but with a lot more solid of a foundation basically where he doesn't have to be on a Stanley Cup you know winning roster and he's driving a lot more of that himself yeah and you know like you talked about right he's He's going to have more ice time, all that stuff, but he doesn't have the protection of playing in lineups where the other team is really concerned with stopping an Ovechkin or stopping McKinnon, right? Like those are that that is certainly a benefit to to guys who play further down those lineups. The thing that I'm going to be most interested in is so far we've seen this is a guy who's kind of an elite sniper from a shooting percentage standpoint. Right. So he finishes his his years in Washington with a 12.8 percent shooting percentage, which is very good. That is very good. And then he goes to Colorado, and over his three seasons there, 17.2%. Now, normally I'd just be like, I'd look at some of these years and go 19.4, completely unsustainable. 18.6, completely unsustainable. But the bottom line is, over three years, which is starting to get to a better sample size, it was 17.2 at the out of the average. <laughs> Um, it dropped to 14.8 his last year there, but his volume really went up. He had 149 shots compared to 103, 102 the, the years prior. So I, I think obviously the volume's going to go up in Seattle just because he's going to have even more minutes on the table. He's going to be playing in the top line role. You got to think he's going to be a, a featured part of the power play. Um, so I, you know, he should have 200 shots. I would think things are kind of going wrong if he doesn't at least have 200 shots at the end of the year. So I'll see his shooting percentage probably drop to what back down to like 12%, 11 and a half, maybe if he really goes all out volume shooting, but I kind of want him to like similar to McCann. We talked about this in the over under on McCann and stuff and in the, and in things I want these guys to kind of just turn into volume shooters. Veneers can be the setup guy right on this line i want burakovsky i want uh bjorkstrand i want mccann i want all these guys to just try to turn into volume shooters particularly these guys like mccann and um burakovsky who even when they are more volume shooters their shooting percentage still stays high that tells me that 30 goals isn't unrealistic maybe not this year you got to give the team another year to add more talent let Beniers develop a full season whatever but over the length of his contract it wouldn't surprise me if he could hit that number agreed and i'm glad you mentioned uh the shooting percentage still being quite high even you know if you get into that volume if you're a real volume shooter and and you're still at a 10 11 clip that's pretty good, and that can lead to a 30-goal season. Yeah. I think the key to Bur- for Burakovsky is just getting to those areas in the high slot, too. He's got such a dangerous shot, but he, he, it's hard to get to those areas where you can unleash it. He's the kind of guy, though, who, who can score from a little bit further away, 
too. Um, and I, I could see if the chemistry works between him and Matty Beniers, Beniers being able to set him up in those spots a lot. And that's why I, I see a real kind of high uh, variance in, in how he could do because you just don't know whether he's going to develop that chemistry with Beniers or not. We just haven't seen the two of them together. Mm-hmm. And turns out, hey, that might not work. Maybe he's better with a Gord or a Wenberg. And then can he get to those spots as much? You don't know. But if it does work out with Beniers, I think Beniers is the kind of creative player who can find Burakovsky in the high slot uh, where maybe it's a little bit further out for most players to score. But given his elite shot, uh, he can really turn those shots into goals. So I think the, the upside is really high. Yeah, I agree, um, and uh, it's I'm just excited. Like I said, he just kind of flies under the radar so far through this off season. But every time I, you know, he comes up for for us, or I remember that the Kraken got him, I'm just like, wow, because there is there is an element of mystery, right? Like the next player we're going to talk about, we know exactly what Justin Schultz is going to come in and do. We know exactly what it is, right? Um, we have a pretty good idea of like Bjorkstrand. We talked about him a lot. He's a player more familiar with, at least on my end, for a long period of time. Um, but Burakovsky, like, I'm, I'm with you. Every time we've talked about him, we've talked about that variance and what we think he can do. But the more I've really kind of looked at things, I'm, I'm starting to kind of feel like it's more and more. I, I feel like we did get a top tier free agent. You know what I mean? Who's going to be able to have that production? Like I said, maybe not year one, just because, again, the team is not great. Like, we, we still know that. Uh, playoff push is still, you know, going to be something they're going to really have to work for. It's not a given. Um, but certainly over the length of this contract, I think he's going to deliver. Yeah. Agreed. All right. So, moving on to the second player we have. And another two Stanley Cup mm-hmm. rings, by the way. There were four Stanley Cup rings in this presser yeah. uh, between Burakovsky and Schultz. That's pretty impressive. Uh, but we have Justin Schultz and the main thing I wanted to know relates to something that Ron Francis was talking about, uh, right back when Justin Schultz was signed, I believe it was the day of, we got him on the first day of free agency. And I asked, uh, I asked Ron, I said, you know, with this Justin Schultz signing, I know you were looking for a right-handed defenseman, maybe someone who could quarterback a power play. Is that need filled now, or are you still looking for things? Might that be another area you'd want to add? Basically trying to get it. Are you going after John Klingberg uh, at the time? And they ended up not doing that. Uh, and Justin Schultz, I guess, will be that guy, the, the new addition that they're, that they're hoping to do that. But one thing that Ron said at the time was, look, Justin Schultz, when you talk about the power play, you know, we've seen him in those spots, even though it hasn't been uh, a lot of ice time there. You look at his previous teams, he was stuck behind guys like a Chris Letang or a John Carlson who were quarterbacking those top power play units. But when Schultz did get those opportunities, he did really well. And we even talked to guys in Pittsburgh and, and they said they liked him in those spots. And so that's why we're confident that he can do that for us. So I wanted to ask Justin, you know, you know, what, what, uh, how much of a factor was it really in signing here was that opportunity to quarterback a power play unit, uh, and to, to get that chance. Whereas before, you know, with Latang and Carlson, you weren't really able to do that. And also what did you learn from those guys being on the same team? And, uh, Schultz did say that it was a big factor in coming here, of course, you know, almost like, yeah, it's kind of obvious. Like, mm-hmm. of, of course I want this opportunity here, uh, running a power play. Cause I think it's something he knows he can do. Uh, but he just needs the opportunity to do it. Uh, and then he mentioned, of course, you know, playing with guys like John Carlson and Chris Letang, you, you learn so much because they are some of the best power play quarterbacks 
in the league, you know, in hockey, really. Uh, it's kind of what we talked about with Burakovsky and the leadership from an Ovechkin, you know, McKinnon, Landeskog, those guys. Schultz has had similar opportunities to learn from Carlson and Latang about quarterbacking a power play. Yeah, exactly. I think there's there's lots of positives there. Justin Schultz all along, right? His calling card has been being that puck moving, smooth skating, offensive defenseman, kind of just prototypical in that regard. Um and and he's been able to to do that every every step of the way. There's been years where he's been able to kind of have more control of a power play. Think of um, 2016-17 in Pittsburgh and 17-18 in Pittsburgh, where he was you know had a little bit more responsibility there. Um, early on, he had it in Edmonton, but those were some terrible Oilers teams. So I don't know how <laughs> much you could really like pull from it. Um, the one thing with him that is I guess kind of worrying to me is because he's going to be 32 this year. That's not too old or anything like, you know, you can start expecting maybe some decline there, but I don't think that it would be anything super significant. It's just that his ice time has been on the decline the last couple of years, and it really took a hit last year where he dropped below the 17-minute mark. He he played the sixth most average ice time of anybody on that uh, Capitals blue line. Like, he was really buried on their depth chart last year tvr was passing him up rj trevor van reams yeah so you know what i mean so that's something that's concerning me to me and you know obviously spent a lot of time covering the crack and everything not a ton of time to watch capitals games last year so i don't really know what was going on there i don't know if it was you know the system changed there over the last couple of years, right, coaching-wise and everything, and he's just he wasn't quite the same fit anymore. If they had young guys coming up and taking the, the spot kind of away from him, you know, what was the reasoning for it? But that's that is something that concerns me a little bit is that he really dropped. He's really slowly the last couple of seasons his ice time has been reduced. It was you know forty seconds at first, then it was fifty seconds, and then this time it was two minutes. That's, you know what I mean? Like, yep. that's a trend that I'm not super happy to see when we're projecting him to walk in. And that's over both Pittsburgh and Washington. So it's not even just like one team situation. But it's a trend that I'm not like, you know, that worries me a little bit when projecting him into a top four role potentially with the Kraken just because they need that help on the right side. When talking about somebody who's going to come in and, and run the second unit power play, most likely you know, potentially move up to the first if Vince Dunn struggles, right? So I don't know. I Like I said, I wish I knew more about that, but that's the thing that stands out to me as I've kind of dug a little deeper into Justin Schultz since the signing. And that's the key. And that's another reason that I was kind of pressing Ron Francis on that at the time is because it looked like there was still space, maybe, you know, if you bring in, say, a Klingberg and then Schultz moves down to the third pair and then all of a sudden, yeah, you can play in those third pairing minutes and he can thrive in that uh, because it's a manageable role. And then you can put him in those more offensive situations, too, to really get, uh, you know, some some bang for your buck there as far as, um, you know, generating offense against probably lesser matchups, you know, if you got third, fourth line stuff. Um, but he's going to be trusted, it looks like, to play a, a bigger role than he has been. It's something he's done in the past, but can he get back to doing that? That's that's absolutely a, a big question that the Kraken have heading into training camp. Yeah, and I still want to do like a, a, a Kraken power play video closer to training camp. Um, you know, August, we, we really planned out with other stuff, but I think in September, we'll have time to kind of do something like that. We can talk about it more. Um, my question for you is, 
who do we think he's going to be paired with? Like, because that's, you know, we kind of have it projected with Jamie Alexiak right now. Is that second right. pairing him on the right side? But I'm, again, it's one of those things. The more I think about it, I don't know how him and Jamie Alexiak would fit style-wise. Like, I think Justin Schultz and Carson Soucy make more sense as a pairing, personally. Right. I, stylistically, yeah, Soucy probably meshes a little bit better with Schultz it's going to be tough seeing kind of where to put Jamie Alexiak because then projecting kind of what we right. have, you'd have Alexiak Borgen. And I don't know if I like that pairing really. No. Um, and, and Alexiak goes, needs, right. Alexiak needs the top four minutes and stuff. Like you can't put Alexiak down. So, but, but mm -hmm. then you're putting Schultz down to the third line and what will Borgen's your second pairing. You know what I mean? Like it defeats the purpose of bringing in Schultz. Like it's, it's going to be a tough one. Right. And it's the kind of thing where I could see them shuffling things around a lot, especially early on and just hoping that something sticks. I mean, maybe you go back to the Susie Alexiak pair that they went with last season as your second pair and then Schultz down to the third pair. And then you can't really pair them with Will Borgen. Borgen Schultz doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, maybe you hope that that a lefty is there. I don't I don't know. Um, and, and then, you know, how does Michael Kempney fit into everything? Uh, it, it's it's a big question going into camp and it's something we should keep an eye on. Right. And that all assumes that, you know, Dunn Larson is a for sure thing. And I don't know that that is mm -hmm. either. Um, I think, you know, last year we talked a lot about it throughout the course of the season. The fact that like all the forward line, the top three forward lines were basically all played the same amount of time. And there wasn't really, you know, a structured hierarchy of first line, second line, third line. It was just kind of like everybody's kind of together and everybody's kind of fluid and moving around. And, you know, and we know the issues that arose from that. I really think this year it's going to be more structured. There will be a first line, a second line, a third line and a fourth line. But I'm start the more I look at this defense, I'm just starting to think like, I think the defense is going to be pretty fluid for a while. And I think it's not going to be like first pair, second pair, third pair. It's going to be more like, these four guys play about the same amount of minutes and then maybe these guys get a minute or two less. But I, I think it's going to be, I don't know that we're going to really have like a, a first pair, second pair. I think situations might dictate what we see. Oh, we're defending a one goal lead late in the third period. Alexiak Larson, let's go. You know what I mean? Oh, we, <laughs> we need a goal. Vince Dunn, Justin Schultz, let's go. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, I could see that absolutely being situationally based. And um, you look at the forwards and they really made some acquisitions there to kind of even everything out and, and get it to the point where you can have a first, second, third, fourth line uh, on D as much as Schultz helps you because you needed that right-handed puck moving defenseman. You just didn't bring in enough to, to really be able to move everyone to the point where they need to be. Right. And nobody, the bottom line is also nobody separated themselves last year. That's the other yep. thing, right? Like everybody had an issue um, regardless of what it was. And it was a significant enough of an issue that it kind of, you know, keeps you from being like, lock it down, right? As much as I want to be all about like Larson, right? Oh, he's the one like surefire top pairing guy. He's the most do it all, whatever. But we do know that he, there, there are issues there, right? The underlying analytics are not as good for him as they are for someone like Alexiak, who had different struggles last year that were concerning, particularly later in the season. And Vince Dunn, who we talked about, you know, he has the offensive flashes and he was picking up things on the defensive side, but also he really didn't take that step forward and really, you know, plant his flag and say, this is mine. So it's, it is, it's going to be interesting. And I do think that, the blue line is going to be the place this season where 
you know, we're going to spend the most amount of time talking as far as who should be with who, what's going on, <laughs> what's working, what's not working. And, you know, that's okay. It's, it's another year. It's a, it's, it's a heck of a process, the expansion draft and putting a roster like this together. And I guess I should just be focusing on the fact that the forward group seems so much more solid than last year. And that's, yeah. that's going to help a lot. It's going to be better than just, oh, no, this team can't score. Yes. I'll take I'll take defense problems over that. Uh, agreed. So um, still excited. It's always good to, to add rings to the room, isn't it, RJ? We saw what Duncan Keith was able to do for Edmonton last year. Took him to a Western Conference final. Yep, he did that. Yep. Um, he certainly <laughs> didn't hold them back from maybe, you know, threatening a Stanley Cup final. <laughs> yep. So rings of the room. Al yep. Always good. Always good. All right. Uh, so let's transition from the locker room to the front office, RJ. So Kraken making some moves there again this week. I know one of them very much piqued your interest. So I want to try to get there as quickly as possible. Uh, why don't you go ahead and, and fill everybody in if they haven't heard uh, on what the Kraken are doing up top. Yes. Yeah, so the Kraken announced three new additions to their hockey ops team. Uh, Franz Nielsen, Justin Rye, and Doug Wilson Jr., uh, so that, that's an interesting trio that we have there. Um, let's start with Nielsen and Rye, though. Get get yeah. those two out of the way. Um, so they will be tasked with working with Kraken players and prospects, both in North America and overseas, according to a team press release. So they will be development consultants kind of working on the player development side of things. Um, Franz Nielsen. We're familiar with him. He played 16 NHL seasons that spanned pretty much the length of our formative hockey years. Right, Dylan? Yeah. Um, and so I want to ask you, any Franz Nielsen memories that you have that, that maybe come to mind for you over, over his playing career? Not really. Like, towards the end, it was just one of those when he was with Detroit where it was just like, you know, Detroit just was still always good. And they were just finishing up this, you know, like 20 year stretch of just being good and having these guys like him, where it was just like, oh, your third line's going to come out and you're going to have this guy who can score, you know, 17 goals. Great. You know, like it was, it was more so like he was just like another name just that I associated with like this stupid team that's always winning. <laughs> exactly. I mean, he was one of those kind of underrated guys that just those depth guys the Red Wings had uh, that fueled a lot of their success. Uh, I liked his time with the Islanders because I would play with the Islanders, like, circling back to the very beginning in the NHL games, uh, you know, EA NHL video games. So I, I would enjoy playing with him there. He brought a lot of speed to my teams there. Mm -hmm. And of course, got to mention that this great bit of trivia that he's the first Danish citizen uh, to play in the NHL. So, uh, you know, kind of a, a, a trailblazer for Danish players. There have been a lot since and kind of immediately yeah. since, really, yeah. um, including um, current crack and Oliver Bjorkstrand. Mm -hmm. um, so that's cool to, to bring another Dane on board. It can never have too many of those. Mm -hmm. um, so Franz Nielsen, an interesting bit here. He will be based in Malmö, Sweden. So that kind of makes sense. You know, if we pull the old map out, yep. Malmö is in very southern Sweden, right? So it's just right across the water from the Danish capital of Copenhagen. So Nielsen, who is Danish, he'll be fairly close to home. And yes, I know he is from Herning, which is about a three and a half hour drive away, <laughs> but still fairly close to home in the grand scheme of things. Uh, and and thanks again, Dylan, for sitting through me talking about geography for a little bit. No, no, it's it's always good because that is where he, you know, he played in Sweden before coming over to the NHL. So yep. 
So it makes sense. Yep. Knows knows the area, knows knows the hockey, all that kind of stuff. Because it, it's a consultant kind of role, right? That he's going to have yep. with the Kraken. Yeah. So yeah, and so he'll be working with with players, and I think also prospects too. Yeah. I mean, the Kraken have a lot of prospects. You know, they're in Europe. A lot of them in Finland, but that's you know, uh, that's that's a flight away. You can do that where he could potentially work with those prospects too. Exactly. So I, I like the idea of having somebody based over there who's your, you know, point of contact, someone who can be a point of contact just, you know, for the team and everything, but also for the players there, right? Whether the, you know, they've already been drafted by the Kraken or somebody who can keep an eye on, you know, draft eligible guys or potentially players that you want to sign as an undrafted free agent, you know what I mean? And just kind of be in the, the hockey culture there hearing the names that get brought up and you know the stories that go on because that's 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 so much of this that's so much of scouting in certain places and and things so um i think it's really really intriguing i was a little disappointed because i wanted him to be a consultant uh for the pk after his legendary 2010 2011 season rj in which he had seven shorthanded goals keep in mind he only had 13 goals total that season seven shorthanded i was like um can we just get him some like one-on-one -on -one time with maddie Beneers and teach him some of that magic please oh absolutely as a pk consultant i <laughs> he would he would do quite well i'm sure that's something he knows i mean how many shorthanded goals do the kraken have all season what Six, or all time was it eight i think it's something like eight something so like to, that, to yeah. get almost that amount in one season uh pretty impressive yeah would, would it surprise you if i said that he led the league that year in short-handed goals no that would not surprise me at all <laughs> okay um so yeah right. I, th I think it's a fun hiring yeah agreed so good to have him on board welcome to the organization uh franz nielsen so the other uh development consultant the kraken have uh, is Justin Rye, who I learned shortly after the signing, is cousins with former Seattle Thunderbird, Prob Rye. So I, I actually do remember him from, I don't know, just following hockey or whatever. I, I remember that name, probably some hockey cards uh, that I had back in the day. Um, but yeah, former former Seattle Thunderbird. Uh, Justin Rye, though, uh, he was the owner and operator of Kaivo Hockey, which is a skill development consultancy whose clients include current NHLers and top prospects. So when you talk about development and, and being, you know, a developer for the Kraken, you know, if you had a skill development consultancy who was working with NHLers, you know, that's pretty good qualifications. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, it sounds like you got exactly what you were looking for if that's what you were looking for. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, um, you know, welcome him to the organization and a cool little connection to Seattle, you know, a cousin yeah. who played for the Thunderbirds. Yeah. Uh, that's pretty cool. What, um, uh, now what, let, yeah, I was going to say quick, real quick, what skills do you think he's going to do? Uh, uh, August, it's still August. We, we got to project all this stuff. What, what do you think the number okay. one thing that, that they'll have him work on is? Uh, what skill? I don't know, do, you, do you have anything in mind? I have no Are you clue. looking at his stat lines from I, when he played, I, in the BCHL? Uh, played college hockey? I know. Yeah. I, I'm trying to figure it out. I have no clue. It's it's kind of intriguing because it's there's there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of open-endedness in the, in the mm -hmm. quote you had just read. So that's why I'm like, <laughs> I want to know more. I'm, I'm curious. I'm intrigued by this because you don't often hear of teams bringing in skills consultants. Normally it's like, oh, that's what our coaching staff is for. But I think that this is actually something that is needed because coaching staffs are busy with other things. 
So exactly. And it's the kind of forward thinking, you know, higher that I would expect the Kraken, you know, to make to try and really fill out these these skill development roles, um, which I know other other teams have that, too. But, you know, there's no salary cap for these guys. You can bring in a lot of talented people to help develop your players. Um, and I think it's good that the Kraken are doing that. A lot of teams will just kind of bring in former players to kind of hang around like former players of their team to kind of hang mm-hmm. around and do that. But, you know, if you're the Kraken, you've got to think outside the box a little bit. You don't really have former retired Kraken players who are ready to do that for you. So, um, you know, I, I like them bringing him on board. Uh, well, one of the things that comes up when you Google him is uh, this picture of him shirtless on a boat. And this dude is jacked. Like just. OK, sh- well, that's shredded. a good sign, right? So uh, if that's the <laughs> skill, I guess, sign, sign the crack it up. <laughs> Absolutely. Everyone showed up to training camp. Just just shredded let's yeah, go let's, all let's right so the final of the three hockey ops hires and this is probably the one i have the most uh mm-hmm. to say about is doug wilson jr so you may remember that name doug wilson uh, his father uh doug wilson senior was the general manager of the san jose sharks uh for a long time before uh you know parting ways with the organization uh this off season um and again hope he's doing all right you know we know there's some kind of unspecified health issues there but uh hoping the best for him so doug wilson jr we he ran basically essentially ran the sharks scouting department and drafts from 2017 on until he left the organization along with his father following this year's draft um but he kind of came up in the Sharks organization. I mean, he was the son of an NHL general manager. He was around hockey all the time growing up. And so, you know, he got a lot of exposure to the game. And essentially what he did for the Sharks is he kind of modernized the Sharks scouting department. Now, before him, it was run by Tim Burke, who was more of an old school style scout. I mean, Dylan, you know that scout meeting scene in Moneyball where you yes. have all the older scouts talking like, oh, he's, you know, he's got a hot girlfriend, so he's clearly confident we should draft him. You know, and Billy Beans, you know, looking at this like, you know, what? <laughs> yeah. So Doug Wilson Jr. basically came in there and said, okay, let's look at who gets on base. Yes. Now, in 2017, there's nothing really revolutionary about that. No. But bringing the Sharks scouting and drafting into the 2010s was something that really needed to be done. And I think something he did successfully. Yeah. And uh, it, it is funny that you brought that up because to bring things full circle to the beginning of the pod, when I was talking about that Ducks ice rink where the WHL have the combine and stuff uh, in that 2017 draft, actually drafted in the sixth round, 159th overall, Jake McGrew, who I mm-hmm. scouted and saw at that WHL combine that year. And uh, I was going to say, you know, you talk about the scene in Moneyball and the, the old timey scouts or whatever. It's like, yes, RJ, I very much know what you're talking about. I was there with them. <laughs> I've been around That's it. Oh, <laughs> uh, exactly. So Doug Wilson Jr., you know, kind of marked a departure there from that line of thinking for the Sharks. And it was successful for the Sharks for a long time, kind of when everyone in the league was doing that. And the Sharks really, you know, did the legwork in scouting, especially in Europe for a long time. But at a certain point, you need someone with, I think, more of an asset management like Doug Wilson Jr., you know, that background. Um, and and especially with trading up and down, he's, he's 
uh, was in charge more of trading down uh, than the Sharks like to do in the past, which I liked, of course. You know, we've seen Mm -hmm. that that can tend to bring value. You get more dart throws that way. Uh, And I think most pronounced was the Sharks in this year's draft, you know, trading down from, uh, what was it, 11 or 12 uh, to get three picks, you know, that were kind of at the end of the first, start of the second round. Um, You look at his draft track record with the sharks from 2017 to 2022 and i I think it's fair to say there's mixed results Mm -hmm. um you know that first draft i think he did a really good job and you could see the difference between the draft beforehand where in 2016 where he wasn't running things you know dylan gambrell noah gregor emmanuel weeder mark shoemaker Joachim blickfeld that's a very uh tim burke type draft there and then you have doug wilson jr taking over and you get josh norris in the first round who's turned into a great player for the ottawa senators mario ferraro who was viewed as a little bit undersized in the second round that's kind of one of the reasons that he fell uh but he has turned out to be a fantastic defenseman for the sharks so that kind of thinking too uh which we know the kraken buy into right with the Riker evans pick mm-hmm. uh you know undersized defenseman ty nelson uh, that's yeah. the kind of thinking that they're very much into so I, I see the fit there um with Doug Wilson Jr., you know, it wasn't all good. Uh, you look at the next draft and, and Ryan Merkley in the first round, who I'll, I'll let you talk about a little bit. But I think it goes to to basically this philosophy of going for higher upside players and trying to swing for the fences in the first round, which you know I'm very much in favor of. Yes. Um, but what do you think looking at this this draft record as a whole from Doug Wilson Jr.? I think it's, I think, you know, some of the struggles that I think he had in the years, you know, the drafts where things weren't great, weren't necessarily all his fault anyway, right? Your hands are tied at some point. 2019, you don't have a first round pick, right? Like it's, you know, that just makes it harder to have a successful draft because guess what? Most of the time, the NHL players that make it are in the first round. Who would have thought, right? <laughs> and so when you don't have something like that, it makes things difficult. Uh, you don't have a high second rounder either. You have two seconds. It's like 48 and 55th. Um, that being said, to only get one NHL game out of those two picks is not, you'd like it to be better, but like, I'm willing to give you the pass there. Um, after that, it's kind of early, right? Like 2022 is way too early to really judge yeah. that draft class. 2021, it's, it's mostly still too early to judge that draft class. Again, didn't have a second round pick you know the sharks for so for those some of those years right we're still making deals all that kind of stuff going around you mentioned josh norris being with the senators right he's not helping out the sharks right now he's probably doug wilson jr's best draft pick um so again but i can't hold that against doug wilson jr he drafted him that after that it's out of his hands that's all you can do yeah it's out (laughs) of his hands but william eckland was a fantastic grab you could you know you could debate whether or not that was just like the obvious choice like oh wow he fell to you so you have to grab him but still the point is you grabbed him we've seen teams pass on guys who fall to them uh shane wright right like we just saw that so um you know i think that was a good draft the 2020 one is the one that's going to be the most interesting to me. And I think we're going to learn the most about it this year, having been two years out from it and stuff. Thomas Bordalo, I just talked about him in my world junior wrap up video. This is a guy who just puts up points. Like that's just what he does. I couldn't necessarily tell you how he does it, but he does it. So that's, you know, but I, I, I like those players. It's good. And already he's got five assists in eight NHL games. That's not bad. Um, but another there's... player who fell to the second round because he was undersized. Exactly. So I do like that kind of thing. Obviously, you know, going back to the the Portland philosophy that I learned and kind of had, you know, and made me a fit there. 
about choosing hockey sense and hockey smarts and just the guys that produce. If they're finding a way of producing and they find a way of producing at an elite level for wherever they're at, whether that's in the NHL, WHL, or, you know, Bantam, they just tend to keep that. Guys just keep that, and they'll get passed over because they're undersized, but the bottom line is if they're scrappy guys, if they're smart players, they find ways of producing, and I've always liked that philosophy. I think that the teams that have that philosophy end up on a whole being more consistent and being more, and they're more consistent at being above average. I won't necessarily say they're always the best teams, um, but I feel like rarely those are the teams that are like, oh, wow, they're picking in the top five again. You know what I mean? Like you don't talk about teams like that very often. Um, and so I like bringing in somebody who has that philosophy when drafting uh, in Doug Wilson Jr. I'm, I'm very much in favor of that. That being said, there's some head scratchers in here. Don't understand the Ryan Merkley pick in 2018. I I don't know what he was seeing, really. I think a lot of people were putting more offensive, you know, skill on him than he kind of really had. I know he, he had displayed it those previous two seasons, but he fell off pretty quick from there and, and just hasn't made it work uh, since. It was just one of those guys that, I don't know, I just never got good vibes from. Um, this Aussie, uh, was it Weisblatt? Yep. Yeah. Don't quite get it. And it's another one where you gets drafted and talk about falling off a cliff after draft, after being drafted, the production has just disappeared completely for him. So, you know, don't totally know what's going on there again, kind of an undersized guy, but not really a player that was super inspiring. You know what I mean? And so that's on the ice. Yes. I, I although I will have yes. to say the inspiring moment yes. of, of drafting him and Doug Wilson Jr. You know, he was, you might remember him, uh, you know, if you're a hockey fan, you know, that it goes that far back, you know, you might remember him seeing on TV, signing Ozzy's name so that his, his deaf brother uh, could kind of participate in that whole draft process, which was a fantastic moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but, but yeah, on the ice, uh, you know, not as inspiring the results. Yeah. And it's, and it's one of those things where it's, you know, that's the fine line you walk with the small guys, right? The undersized guys is, you know, if if they don't have that special spark that's going to let them just, you know, go at every level, it's it then it's just not going to be there for them. And so that's the only concern I, I really see. But, you know, we saw this year, especially with the Kraken, you brought up Ty Nelson, Jagger Furcus, right? Can't get more undersized than Jagger Furcus. And yet, you know, we're all super pumped <laughs> to have him. Uh, and he's a guy who, you know, for sure finds way of, ways of producing just with his smarts and, and his ability to read defenses. So I think Doug Wilson Jr. is going to fit right in, um, especially because, you know, he's only going to be a scout. He's not in charge of the draft. And that's what I was going to say. I'm curious how, as a scout, his role will change. Because from what I was able to gather with his time in San Jose, he was almost kind of in charge of the grand strategy of the draft. Yes, there was a scouting element to it, but um, you know he would kind of be the one to listen to the scouts mm-hmm. as the director of scouting. You know, you can't be everywhere at once. No. You have to listen to your different scouts, and and I'm sure as director of scouting, he knew that better than anyone. That you know he can't see everything. You have to trust in what your scouts are seeing. But at the end of the day, it, it's your call, and you get to decide. Okay, who are we taking at the end of the day? Uh, are we moving up? Are we moving? down you know who are who are we trying to get so it's going to be a different role as an amateur scout now you're one of the scouts who has to go compile Mm -hmm. that data figure out who you like 
and and then report it to you know like maybe robert cron who's r- running the draft for the kraken or ron francis report it to them so i think it's something that kind of can fill out his resume a little bit but it's it's a different type of job right and that's something that if you know as somebody who wants to focus on trying to find those high skill but maybe undersized players that role suits you way better because those are the kinds of things to separate the the uh orlos from the wise bloods is just viewing you need you need time to see them and and see them in different situations against different types of systems against different types of opponents big big opponents fast opponents all that kind of stuff because that's when you're going to notice like okay this guy adjusts his game every time he can read what the other team's doing and he just finds a way of beating it versus the guys that hey in those two games it just happened to line up really well for his skill set that i saw of him so great you know what i mean and so I think that that's something that that would help him out a lot more being in just a scouting role. Agreed. So, yeah, it's going to be super interesting. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I, I'm I'm excited about it. It's it's another scout. I'm just excited to have a team that, you know, invests in that. Right. Like there are still NHL teams that like just refuse to invest in scouting departments. And it's just kind of mind blowing when it's like this is it's relatively cheap compared to some of the other things you're investing in. And it's the thing that more so than anything is going to determine your on ice product at the end of the day over a long period of time. And that's one thing I hope we continue to see from the Kraken is they're always trying to bring in new talented people, uh, you know, to, to fill in these positions and, and just add to their staff. I think the Kraken have this organizational philosophy of you can never have too many good people in the organization yeah. find a way to make it work at whatever role um, and i think you know this is a big part of that you take someone who was the director of scouting for an mm-hmm. nhl team and you're able to bring him in as just an amateur scout just an, another voice that you have i mean why wouldn't you do it exactly and i know that there's some like there's some people who believe you know in business or whatever that you don't want to do that because you'll end up with conflicting opinions and friction and conflict and whatever but i really think that when it comes to things like scouting in particular you want that the times where you have like two people who very passionately believe in two different players and they're going to argue about it you're going to really learn which player you want in that moment right as those scouts are really digging deep to talk about why they like them and 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 whatever those were always the the moments where i felt like i could make the best case scenario or it would hit me that you know what this argument isn't really strong and maybe he's not the guy you know what i mean like and and those those moments only come out when you really have to step out on a limb for a guy right like i guess kind of went through that with kamel this 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 draft right mm-hmm. just all all the comments from people especially after the mock draft <laughs> having him go to the flyers or whatever but it made me strengthen my argument it made me kept going back to the film and seeing like okay is there something i'm missing how does he handle these situations where he's the undersized guy or whatever and it and it makes you view them that much more thoroughly and um, compile your argument for that player that much more so. And I think that that ends up benefiting the draft as a whole because, you know, if there's if there's the scout that has the really solid argument versus the scout with not the solid argument, I think you're going to end up with the better player most of the time. And you, you look at some of the, the worst run teams, and, and especially from a scouting and drafting perspective, yep. it looks it's an echo chamber. Yep. You, you look at some of the videos that they put out of the scouting room, everyone's in agreement. Yep. And yet it's usually a small group of people. Yeah, I'll, I'll go back to in like the the early 2010s, Carolina, I always felt like had one of the best scouting departments. They sneakily had a, one of the best like 
funded scouting departments and they had the best uh, guy running it. And that was one of the things that I always took away from the brief, like behind the scenes glimpses that they would give is like, everybody was always arguing in their scouting room, but you know what? Like the Carolina hurricanes, they drafted pretty well during those years. <laughs> they found lots of guys that way. So um, I always thought it was good, but they had, but they did have a solid, strong figure at the top who was able to just say at some point, all right, enough, I've heard enough. And, and just, pick a name you know what i mean and you do need yep. that in those situations you don't want anarchy but i think that the kraken have plenty of people capable of doing that sure all right so boy that turned into a lot more in-depth scouting-ish stuff than i thought it was going to <laughs> <laughs> yeah for sure I, I thought i was gonna be just talking about doug wilson Jr. the whole time i'm glad you were able to you know chime in we were able to get to that scouting place hopefully you, you all learned something there um you know that it's uh you know, always good to know, you know, get that insight from you, Dylan, like just about how the scouting rooms work uh, and all that. I certainly learned something listening to that. Yeah, I was going to say, hopefully I made a good coherent case for it. <laughs> I, I worry sometimes when I get like kind of worked up, I just ramble too much. But uh, yeah. And then well, hey, just... if he didn't let him know. Yes. And please. then he can refine that argument and, and yep. get better. And, I'll and, watch uh, the tape. We can... <laughs> exactly. exactly we can have a, a better podcast room as a whole yeah and no need to look back at doug wilson's first draft in charge in 2017 to, to find the one player who uh didn't make the nhl jake McGrew. <laughs> <laughs> in all fairness i'm not sure i had him in my top 10 so or if i did he was there low top 10 i'll have to dig that out that would be fun for people maybe we'll make that like a patreon exclusive my my old things everybody can look at where they ended up Oh, that'd be fun. I like that idea. Yep. And that's uh, that's our segue into letting everybody know October Patreon's coming back. <laughs> yes, it is. And we've got a lot of new stuff for you. So we're looking forward to telling you all about that as we get closer. Exactly. And then for the for the true finish, I want to I want to ask everybody this question, then we'll address it during the cold open on the next deep dive. OK. All right. Because we've we've brought them up plenty already in this this video, RJ, the Portland Winterhawks. New Jersey's kind of taking <laughs> some inspiration from somewhere familiar to us on this Kraken centric <laughs> podcast. And so I want to know from all the listeners, let us know whether it's in the comments on YouTube, again, discord, Twitter, let us know. Cause I want to talk about this to start off the next podcast. Did the Winterhawks steal the Kraken's jerseys? Straight up. What are your thoughts about it? Do you, how do you feel about it? Do you feel like they took something that belongs to the Seattle based area? Do you think that they look good? How, how are you feeling about it? I'm really curious because this is something that's a little, you know, near and dear to my heart. So that's for sure. I mean, it's, it's the ultimate crossover between your, really your two teams you've been most involved with. So yeah, everyone let us know what you think. I'm really interested to see what the community has to say about it and to talk with you about it mm -hmm. on the next podcast. Yeah. So with that, everybody, uh, it's a nice little teaser. I feel like we don't do that enough. Um,